Amen. Thank you so very much. Wonderfully done. Take your Bible, please, and turn to Psalm number 78. Psalm number 78. I am uh, delighted to be in the state of my birth and rearing. I am a Kentuckian by birth and spent the first 18 years or so of my life here and uh, born in Ballard County way down on the rivers and uh, reared in Carlisle, Graves, and McCracken. <clears throat> and uh, I uh, come back to Kentucky as often as I can. I love coming back to the state and, of course, live down in this uh, foreign mission field in Tennessee. <clears throat> and, uh, and, uh, and I love coming to Lexington to be at Clay's Mill. Uh, Brother Fugit has already noted our friendship, and for which I'm very, very grateful. But when I come back to Clay's Mill, it, uh, it reminds me of uh, a bunch of years of my pastoral ministry. Uh, people saved every week. People baptized every week. People coming into the church, adding to our church family every week. And uh, we had uh, several large building programs to uh, enable us to take care of the things that were happening and to minister to the people that were coming and uh, all of the things that went along with that, uh, buying buses and other things that we did to uh, be able to just reach out in every direction and reach every possible person that we could. And all of that in the liberal, in, I mean totally liberal state of Maryland, uh, out in the suburban edges uh, just beyond the, well, kind of on the edge of the suburbs of Baltimore. And uh, a lot of years there and a lot of blessing, a lot of good things that continues even as we speak. And for that I'm very grateful. And uh, you know when I come to Clay's Mill, I feel all of that again. It's here. It's the heart, the pulse, the excitement, the uh, things that you're seeing as people come together and learn from the Word of God and I sat here and listened to uh, Brother Fugit uh, teach that lesson this morning, and I was fed and helped and, and encouraged by that. And uh, he and I do a number of things throughout the year and, and together and get to preach together and so forth, and I'm glad for that. Thankful to have him on our board at the Sword of the Lord. <coughs> and so anyway, I just say all of that by way of uh, hello and by way of uh, preface here to the message. Uh, you know, I, I don't understand why that people who get saved, why they can't be excited. I don't understand why having the blessings of God flowing like we have them flowing, I don't understand why we can't be stirred up and lit, lit up about all of that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I just testify a little bit to say thank the Lord for his goodness to a little Kentucky boy who grew up down in those river bottoms and creek beds in the western part of the state. Thankful to the Lord for his goodness. Now, uh, Brother Fugue has been very kind to give me the privilege of preaching here twice today, and I take that very seriously. It's been my privilege to uh, preach in a lot of places around the world, and uh, I never, never one time have I walked to a microphone or walked to a pulpit without a Bible in my hand and knowing that I have a responsibility, whether it's a little crowd or a large one. And I'm thankful for the privilege that I have to be here today. Psalm number 78. And I'll, this is a long chapter. 
and I'll not read all of it, but I will hopscotch just a little bit uh, to help you to catch up with me about where we are and what we're going to look at here. In uh, verse number 2, he says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing them to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his way, and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. Now, if you'll drop down to verse 17. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God, they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now, when you look at all of this and the additional portions of the chapter, several things uh, come to light. In the part that we read, there was a past generation, from the point of this writing, there was a past generation that had received revelation from God. That's why he talks in the... Uh, first couple of three verses about dark sayings of old. These are some of the things out of the distant past. Uh, they're not uh, as obvious right now as they were then, he's saying. And, but he said, uh, we have heard about these things. We have known them. Our fathers have told us about them. And so we, we know that they received some revelation from the Lord in the past. Now, when you and I show up on earth, uh, it's obvious some other people have already been here. There's been a generation or two or three or four uh, before us, obviously, uh, at whatever time on the planet we might have appeared or anyone appeared, uh, others have been here before us back, of course, to the point of Adam and Eve. Now, the present generation can benefit from the history of the past generations. That's why he says in verse 4, we will not hide them, talking about those sayings of old. He said, we will not hide them from the children, showing them to the generation to come, uh, the wonderful works that God has done. Uh, verse 6, uh, he says that, that the generation to come, talking about not just those that they got it from and the present generation, but even those that are coming later, that even the children that should be born, that they might get hold of these things. Uh, verse 8, uh, he says, and we don't want them to be like their fathers, that past generation who messed up. 
We don't want them to be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not manifest toward God. So the, the, the present generation can learn, should learn, ought to learn from not only the successes, but the failures of the generations past. Now, the Lord's greatness was an evidence even when the people did wrong. It was, not, it was not like the Lord was out of sight. It was not like um, that uh, they, they didn't know. No, the Lord's, the Lord's greatness was obvious. Uh, all of this, uh, verse 7 says, that they might set their hope in God and not forget, but keep His commandments. No, all of this was obvious. And the Lord does not evolve from one generation to the next. In other words, we have a lot of people today in our culture today and even in a lot of what I'll call quasi-Christian circles, we have a lot of folks today who have the idea, well, the God of the 1940s was different from the God of the uh, 2020s. It's like, well, well you know, God, God has improved himself. God has come along. God has gotten more like us. And somehow or another, they have the idea that God evolved from one generation to the next. Well, it's pretty obvious here that uh, he does not. Verse 5, for example, makes it clear. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded who? Our fathers, that's the past generation, that they should make them known to their children, that's the present generation and beyond. So, note, what God did back then, he's doing now and will do later. Uh, he, he establishes all that, he appoints it all, it's all set uh, for that. Now, the new generations often copy and repeat the tragedies of the past. 9, 10, and 11 in the verses. The children of Israel, they were well tutored. I mean, they, they were, uh, if you'll let me just slip this forward a little bit, they were, they were university grads. I mean, they, they had graduated from the University of Humanism, and they, they, uh, they had all of this knowledge. I mean, they, they had all the text. I mean, they had a cell phone in one pocket and an iPad in the other. They, they've got everything going for them. They are totally prepared, totally armed. But whenever the tough times came, what did they do? They folded. Whenever there were battles to be fought, they, they were not up to it. They, they ran from all of that. They would not listen to the things that God had said. They refused to walk in His law, forgot His works and His wonders that He had shown them. So even though they had all of these things to work with, in the time of stress and pressure, they folded. Now, <coughs> they, uh, that uh, last part that I read there in verse 17, 18, 19, in the midst of all of their flopping around, folding, failing, they said, you're trying to tell me that God can set a table in the wilderness? Now, why, why would they reflect on it? Well, there was a point in time when Israel was wandering through the desert wilderness, the Sinai and all of that area around that. They, they were the, the, uh, the Negev, that the desert there in southern Israel. They were wandering through, getting out of Egypt, getting to the land of promise. They come, came through a period of, I mean, there was, there was times when there was no water. There was times when there was no food. And what did God do? God provided the water. God provided the food. Day by day by day, He provided. And here they are, though, 
They, they've decided they're not going to trust God. They're not going to walk with God. They're not going to believe God. And so in a moment of uh, flailing away in their own frustrations, it's like, I guess you think God can bail us out of this. I guess you think God can really do something in our generation. And so they said, I think maybe with a tinge of anger, uh, maybe mockingly, maybe uh, saying with uh, just a note of hostility, can, can God, can God, can God furnish us a table? Can he put food on the table out here in this wilderness? Well, let me give you the answer. God did. He did. He did in the past. He can, he can, he can in the moment, in the now, and he will, he will, he will every day, every week, every month, every century, hence. So can God, he did, he can, and he will. Now, I'm reminded the New Testament tells me in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the great, great things that we see here, I mean, in the wilderness, in the desert, okay, uh, they were in a place beset with all kinds of snares, predators, dangers. Well, we live in a world where we have a lot of crazy going on as well. We have a lot of desert issues. We have a lot of wilderness issues. And, uh, you know, just looking in your face today, some of you may have walked in here today with some heavy burdens. Some of you may have been betrayed by somebody. Uh, you may have had something happen in your life that you never could have anticipated that is taking you through a deep valley. Now, I'm standing here this morning to tell you, the God who has been God in the past, the God who's been the God present, the God with promise, the God with all kinds of provisions in the past, who saw our ancestors, who saw many of the giants of the past and walked with them and got them through. He was God to the full in the past, and now he is still God. They're gone. They're dead. They're not here anymore. We, we are their children, their grandchildren. Here we are. We're looking all around. What are we going to do? Are we going to put our noses into a bottle? Are we going to try to drive our lives along by injecting needles into our arms? I mean, are we going to immerse ourselves in humanism and hedonism and all kinds of other isms? Or are we going to look up to heaven and say... God can. He did, and we believe that he can. We're going to put faith in him, and we're going to be faithful to him, and we'll trust him today, and when tomorrow shows up, we'll trust him again. The circumstances that they had were dire, but God was up to it. And uh, it's pretty obvious when you read through this chapter their carnality got in the way, generation after generation. Things got crazy. Roof caved in. Efforts collapsed. 
But if you look at uh, verse 35 and uh, following, it says, They remembered, they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. But look at the next verse. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Now, they knew the score. They knew who God was. They knew that God did. And they're standing here now giving lip service, not service from the heart, but lip service. And they're saying, well, yeah, 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 you know, it, it worked then, but, uh, you know, we're going to go through the motions now, but we really don't think this is going to work now. now. Here's the amazing thing about all of this. Even with their hypocrisy and their half-heartedness and their flimsy faith, it was hardly faith at all, verse 38 says, talking about God, He, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not, yea, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up his wrath, for he remembered that they were but at flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. They provoked him often and grieved him in the desert. Yea, they turned back, tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, they did limit God. I mean, God would have done all kinds of things on their behalf that they did not get done because they, their faith was shallow and their faithfulness was very minimal, at all, if at all. But here's the beautiful part of this. God was compassionate toward them. He waited. He did not unload the judgment on them at the point where that he might have done that. I'm telling you, dear friends, you, 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 and, I, you and I can be pretty pleased, pretty thankful that whenever we have messed up, God is still watching out for us. We can be pretty excited when we blow the first chance that God gives us a second chance. We can be pretty excited that whenever we just act foolish, God still extends His goodness to us. There may be all kinds of other people that you know, all kinds of people around you, that, that I mean, you cannot count on them, but you can count on God. In the past, he did things like what he promised. He will do that now, and he will do it tomorrow. Over the years, broken families, we've seen it over and over again. They get put back together again. I have on a number of occasions performed wedding ceremonies for couples that had already been married once, they got a divorce, they got right with God, and they came back together, and I had the privilege of uniting them in marriage for their second wedding, but still to the same two people, simply because that the God who was God then is God now, and he's able to take the broken, and whatever elements of brokenness there are, he's able to fix that. Uh, sometimes people get bitter and angry and just all been out of shape. I'm telling you, God can give you a hope and a heart and a perspective on life that you can never get just reading psychology books. You say, how's that possible? It's possible because God 
can furnish the table in your wilderness. You may be homeless. You may be helpless. You may be soaked in alcohol or driven by drugs. You may have a long rap sheet. You, I mean, you, you may be into whatever. I'm just simply telling you, there is a God in heaven who is God of this earth. He's God of this world. He wants to be God in your life. And just as he helped that crowd way back there when, God's able to do it now. Every once in a while, you'll bump into somebody who will ask you a question that however they ask it, it amounts to this. They'll say, do you think God could save a person like me? I'm always glad to smile when they ask it. Because, you know, the only, the only limitation on who God can save is, is whether or not you're still breathing. If you're breathing, God can save you. Because if you're still alive, and it doesn't matter what your past is, doesn't matter what your background, doesn't matter what kind of mess you've been in or what kind of mess you've got now. And I'm just telling you something. A church like Clay's Mill Baptist Church is the kind of a place... I mean, it, I, I used to tell my folks all the time, our place is the fixing place. Now, I had to translate that up in the mid-Atlantic, but I don't think I have to translate that here in Kentucky. We all know what fixings are. We know what it means to fix stuff. And I'm telling you, the God who did, the God who can, and the God who will, He knows how to fix our mess. He knows how to fix things and get us back on track, get us headed where we needed to be. And he puts together places like Clay's Mill. It's not a museum, but it's a hospital where with all of our hurts and heartaches we can come and be loved and be nurtured and be instructed and be helped. God can do that. Now, a lot of things are impossible with men, but everything's possible with God. I look at the Old Testament Joseph, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, uh, betrayed by people down in Egypt, and every step of the way, no, not, not the slightest indication of bitterness or rancor or hatred did he reflect back to any of them. He just kept walking with God. And God just kept blessing him and blessing him. I mean, in the pit, in the, in the prison and in the palace, God blessed him. I think about Moses stuttering and stammering and not a perfect man himself and God tapping him to be the leader and uh, him saying, you know, I, 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 what, what, uh, listen, Moses, in the nation of Israel to this day, there's nobody revered like Moses. You say, what happened? Well, God, God can take a stuttering, stammering guy, make a world leader out of him. I think about a guy like Elijah, that uh, account in 1 Kings 18, outnumbered by hundreds of clergy who were on the wrong track, doing all kinds of crazy things, and on the payroll of a wicked woman, Jezebel, and yet, uh, who came out on top on that? <laughs> Say, well, man, Elijah must have been 12 feet tall. No, he, he knew God. He walked with God. He called upon God. And he demonstrated that just like God had done things with Moses, like he had done things with Joseph, then God also did things with him. 
God did, God can, and I'm telling you this morning, he will. On and on the list could go. I think about Job. I think about Daniel in the lion's den, etc. Think about a man like Noah. He and a family of eight. God said, I want you to build an ark. Noah hadn't even seen a rain at that point. <laughs> Had no idea what a boat was. <laughs> what did he do? He believed God. He just trusted God, listened to what he had to say, and he followed him for a hundred years or more. Just followed. Kept building on that ark. One plank at a time. One step at a time. One animal at a time. Not knowing where the next... He just did what God said. I think about God looking for a king. Went out and found a boy herding sheep. What are the chances of that? Well, God can. God needs a great man in the New Testament era to to extend the reach of the gospel, well, where does he find him? He finds him on the road to Damascus. I mean, he's in all, I mean, in, in some sense of the word, he's a thug. Saul of Tarsus is going to become Paul, the preacher and the apostle, yeah. So how's that possible? Well, God can. What I'm saying about these things and reflecting on this great question, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I'm going to tell you not only in the wilderness, but he can do it at your house. He can do it where you go to school. He can do it where you work. Just like he can do it here in this church. God can furnish the table. He did, and he did, and he did through the generations. You and I can benefit from that. We, we, can, we can pull up the testimony of our mentors, and we can say, look what God did with them. And then we can say, but I need him now. And we're looking into tomorrow and next week and beyond. And we can just say, the God who did can and will. And we're in good shape.